0: Is it, is it wrong for Christians to eat so much food that they pass out in a food coma? Uh, <laughs> that was the question I was faced with in the basement of a, a, a building off of Hollywood Boulevard. My wife and I uh, had been invited to uh, one of the world premieres, uh, world premiere of one of the Star Trek movies. I don't remember which one, uh, but we was at Grauman's Chinese Theater. And when it was over, we... and Hundreds of others and the stars and VIPs all headed over across the street to this building that had been all set up, and we found our way into one room, and, uh, and dinner was all set up. It was fabulous, uh, and uh, ate plenty, and I just assumed that all the other rooms had the same food, uh, but to my despair, I got into another room, and they had different kinds of amazing food, and of course, I had to try some of that. and. That happened room after room, and then we got to the big room where the stars were, and oh my gosh, they even had new food. Well, Carolyn had stopped eating many rooms before. Ah, <laughs> uh, I was stuffed. But as we walked back down the stairs to the first floor, I said, isn't it, isn't it interesting? That there's been no dessert. Uh, I did. I didn't know if that was maybe the Star Trek Uh, people had said, uh, you know, we we aren't going to serve it, or Paramount was being healthy. I don't know how these things worked, but we went on down the stairs, past the first floor, down to the basement, and to my horror, (laughs) saw table after table of dessert. It was like this. Oh my gosh, which of course I had to eat. I mean, it was there. So I was asking, is it acceptable for Christians to eat so much they pass out? (sighs) I'm not going to tell you if I did or not. But uh, I'm going to talk about this really important topic, self-control. I do not speak as one with experience. I speak humbly as one who sees off a far country and hopes someday to visit that place. But we all could benefit from self-control. I I looked for a picture of self-control. I found this one. Right? So, I I just want to say, you know, I I honestly don't know what they needed to have self-control over in the first century. What, What did they have? You know, fish and pita bread and fermented goat's milk. So, But if they needed it, Oh my gosh, do we need self-control in the 21st century? Absolutely. Um, And there was need for self-control back then because Paul wrote the book of Galatians and he said, with all the other fruits of the Spirit, he added, and self-control. So uh, just of the nine fruits of the Spirit, which one do we get in most trouble for not having? I, I'll give you a hint. It's not joy. <laughs> right? We can do fine. I mean, people get along fine with no patience or peace or even kindness, and they can still be successful. Uh, you know, people, people seem to grow to heights of success without gentleness, but you can't, you can't uh, raise a family or even raise a nation without self-control. Um, and we see The damage and destruction of life, whether it's in Hollywood or in politics or worse of all, in faith, uh, when we don't have self-control. So I've been talking about food, but I want to include the rest of you in this topic. So just in case food's not your thing, there are a few other places we could afford to have some self-control. For example, just dieting in general. Uh, How about waking up on time? Money management. Uh, in uh, uh, managing our emotions, the use of time. How about social media? Time spent uh, on Facebook and time spent tweeting and all of that. Your phone, do we put it away during meals or are we all sitting around the table all engaging with people who aren't there? Um, How about uh, porn is obviously an issue and talking too much, exercise, spiritual growth, just having discipline and self-control, and all of those things. So I'll wait while we stop rubbing our heads going, I know, I know, I know. (sighs) Jack Parr, uh, some of us remember, I don't remember Jack Parr, but I remember that he was a TV host way back in the day, and he said this, Looking back, my life seems to be one long obstacle course with me as the chief obstacle. Joyce Meyer said, uh, a a popular Bible teacher, I think she nails it, and I think it's um, one of the most helpful things we can use, and it's actually a truth that we haven't touched on in our discussions of fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of Christ. Joyce Meyer says this, I have learned that I really do have discipline, self-control, and patience, but they were given to me as a seed, and it's up to me to choose to develop them. I think that's a great uh, observation. Now, Jesus may have started with a seed of self-control in him, but he fully developed it even before he began his ministry. He, he had self-control when he began, and he needed it because people were going to begin challenging him right away. And uh, we read about his self-control in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is baptized uh, in Matthew chapter 3, the very last verse, and then in the very first verse in chapter 4, we read this. Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we know that the devil goes on and tempts him two more times. All three times, Jesus responds with self-control. And because he's able to respond that way, um, it allows him to live into his goals and values, his faith. It lives, allows him to live up to his own standards. Uh, and um, the, the, the most clear example of that is in this very first temptation. So it says he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm grateful that the scripture says, and he was hungry. Of course he was hungry. He was starving to death 40 days and 40 nights without food. You know, we say, I'm starving. It it means we haven't eaten for 40 minutes. (laughs) But he was truly hungry. There's nothing wrong with Jesus needing or wanting to eat. That's not the point of self-control here. Um, It's that we seek to find what we need in sources other than God. And Jesus said, "I, I shouldn't do that. I need to trust God for my provision. He's the one who sent me out here. He's the one who's going to provide for me. And so it appears that he could have turned stones into bread. It's not a temptation if you can't do it. Uh, But he says, I shouldn't, and so I won't. And I think we learn a lesson from him. Uh, I think Jesus might would have said this to us. Self-indulgence asks, can I do it? But self-control asks, should I do it? And Jesus could But he shouldn't, and so he didn't. The Greek word uh, root for self-control is to get a grip, to get a grasp on on our desires, our actions, our emotions, on ourselves, to get a grip on ourselves. So I'm going to show you a video that reenacts a 50-year-old experiment with children. They they took children, and they put them in a room uh, with a marshmallow. And they said, if you can not eat this marshmallow for 15 minutes, then I'll come back and I'll I'll give you another one. So you'll have two. And uh, so that's what happened, and uh, so this this is it. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. All right, so it's up to you. You can have it now, or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. You need them. Uh, uh, We can only have so self-control for so long. Oh my gosh! So from this video and from Jesus, we can get some sense of how we can develop self-control. So here are three steps we can use to develop self-control. The first step: start with ourselves. Jesus started with himself long before he uh, went on the scene in ministry. He, he looked at himself. He, he said, what are the areas of my life I'm going to need to work on? And uh, he knew his ministry was going to be tough. And he knew he needed self-control for ourselves. Uh, starting uh, with ourselves means that we need to know ourselves. Know where our strengths and our weaknesses are. Where are we tempted? Where are those weak spots? So here's a question. Am I a waiter or an eater. This comes from the marshmallows. So there were two kinds of kids. There were those who could wait, right? And those who ate right away. Um, So the, the waiters, they were able to wait and to think about it, think about their situation, evaluate. Then there were the eaters, like that little girl. It was awesome. She ate that thing before the woman even finished giving the instructions. She's an eater, and some of us are like that. We dive right into any situation, any event, any conversation, any opportunity without looking back, without looking to see if there's water in the pool. We just we just go. We're eaters, and uh, others of us are waiters. Oh no, no, I'm gonna, t- I'm, you know, I'm just gonna sit back. I'm gonna check everything out, evaluate, um, take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, we test the waters before we dip, you know, dip our toe in. Um, but like those kids with the marshmallows who were the waiters, who were just like, you know, the one who's kissing it, he's loving it, he's just, oh, you know, we, it doesn't mean that we don't need self-control as well. We may have too much confidence in our ability to resist. Um, and uh, so for weeks we have been studying uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which is love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. But I want to take us back to Galatians five nine, and it says this: A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So those uh, of you who are bakers, or you know, you know, we we know you take a tiny little bit of yeast and you ra- you put it all in and all and it impacts all of the dough. Um, and so whether we are waiters or eaters, we need to start with ourselves and realize that just even a little bit. Uh, affects everything we do. A little bit of lack of self-control. And the other side of the coin is a little bit of self-control goes a long way. It helps. It makes a difference. So we start with ourselves by deciding on an area to work on. And then we move to the second step, which is start now. Start right now. Jesus was ready. When he started his ministry, he was ready to go. Uh, we oftentimes, we get into business, we get into housekeeping or raising kids or living our life in, in, with the thought, well, maybe I'll have self-control someday. I mean, we, don't, we haven't worked on it. Uh, we need it. Now, I'll just say, wherever we are in our lives, we can start right now. Starting now is better than not starting at all. And, uh, and the reason for this and I really hate to tell you this, it always gets worse. I told you, I, I didn't want to tell you, I hate, I hate this. It sounds so horrible, but it is true. When it comes to self-control, not practicing it, it always gets worse. Carolyn uh, uh, needed to go to the dentist and uh, she had gone to the dentist and they said, they, they said you need to floss. Well, she didn't floss, so she didn't go back because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to lie. And, you know, they're always going to ask, have you been flossing? And some of us, you know, we flossed the day we got back from the dentist and the day we went back to the dentist, and we said, yes, I've been flossing. But Carolyn knew that what they meant was every day, so she couldn't lie, and she said she didn't want to say no, she didn't want to hurt their feelings, she didn't want to embarrass herself, she just didn't go back. When she finally had to go back, they said, you haven't been flossing, (laughs) And they said, we know that because you need root scaling, which is they go down below the gums and scrape underneath. Ah! (laughs) Okay, I wouldn't even tell you that story. (laughs) Uh, Except for this. She so hated the root scaling that she... Okay, now what do you want the rest of that story to be? Uh, Yeah, that she flossed, right, exactly. What we want the story to be is that she flossed every day and she became so proficient at it that not only did she never have any trouble with her gums again, but her dentist recommended her and referred her to other patients who were concerned. (laughs) That's not what happened. (laughs) That's what would have happened if she'd had self-control. What happened was she hated the root scaling so much that she didn't go back to the dentist. And she didn't floss. And when she had to go back to the dentist, they had to do it again. The root scaling. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Friends, it always gets worse. Uh, uh, Okay, so now she is the most self-controlled flosser you will ever meet. She has a water pick. She has an electric toothbrush. It's going off every night. So when it comes to self-control, if you don't have self-control, it always gets worse. Um, And we learn that from the kids with the marshmallows, right? So uh, the ones who smelled it and stared at it, you know, it always gets worse. Then they took little pieces of it, you know, and it doesn't help, you know, if you say, I just have a little bit. It, It doesn't help. It always gets worse. And this idea... Uh, it comes from uh, Paul as well in the book of Colossians. He, he is trying to help the believers begin to transform their lives, to become more like Christ, to take on the character traits of Jesus. And so he says in Colossians 3, put your, uh, set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. And then he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he gets to the point, right? I mean, what self-control sermon wouldn't be you know, complete without talking about this stuff? Um, it's, it's in our thought lives and in our relationships where the hardest part of self-control exists. But um, this is not just a list. If this is just a list, it's an odd list. It's not. It's a process. These are steps. And the thing is, is that the, we have to turn them around because Paul put them started with the worst thing, sexual immorality, and then he backs up uh, to the beginning. So we're going to turn it around and we're going to walk through these, this list uh, looking at it like this in order. Idolatry, greed, evil desires, lust, impurity, sexual immorality. Now, this is again, with, this is one of those things that we just kind of read over in our devotions and uh, we don't pay any attention to, that you'll never find this one crocheted and up on, a, you know, up on your wall. It's not on any pillows. But it's so important. We have all lived through this in one way or another. Um, idolatry, the, this is one of those things where you go, Oh, yeah, I got no idols. Uh, You know, I got a bobblehead on my dashboard, but I don't have any idols in the house. That's not what we're talking about. Idolatry is looking to other things for what we should look to God for. And we say, oh, I don't do that. Um, But I think idols may be far more common than we realize. For example, where do we turn to for happiness, for significance and purpose in life, for direction in our lives? Uh, for security and retirement. Now, I know we're in church, so it's an easy answer. We always, you know, the answer is God. Uh, But in real life, um, we often look to other places for those things. We don't even know that we're looking to other places for those things and not looking to God. We're trusting something else. And I didn't realize it until I stood with two lottery tickets in my hand. This one, I was talking to two friends. Uh, we meet every di- every uh, week for coffee, and then we get a lottery ticket. And <clears throat> this one, uh, I said to the two of them, "This one's ours. This is the for the three of us because um, the the lottery was up to three hundred million, and a quick calculation will tell you that." Uh, 300 million. If you take an upfront lump sum and then separate out all the federal taxes, that that it turns out to be 10%. That if you're dividing it three ways, each of you gets 10%. Okay. The fact that I have that equation in my mind should already tell you this is going in the wrong direction. But anyway, so we each get 30 million. And I said this one is for Carolyn and me, because you know it's up to 300 million. Uh, And and one of my friends says, well, Neil, is 30 million not enough? And uh, I laughed, but inside I went, no. (laughs) Not if I can have 300 million. But that set off a bell in my head and in my heart. I said, ooh, that hurts a little bit. Really? 30 million is not enough? Because it really wasn't. I I realized I was looking at the lottery. I didn't expect to win the lottery, but I was looking at it. if only, if only I could win the lottery, look at all the things I could do, the way I could be in charge of everything. I wouldn't have to trust for a new job or for my retirement or the 401k, and I could give money to the church and to ministry and to my kids, and I'd still have enough for me. And we, uh, and it was like, oh, I was looking to this thing for happiness. And, it, and the, the ridiculousness about idols is you're never going to get it from the idol, but you look for it, you long for it. And I was like, ooh, this is not good. It got worse. Remember? I tell you, it always gets worse. So here's how it got worse. I actually said it out loud to them. I said, no, no. 30 million is not enough if I can have 300 million. Friends, that's greed. (laughs) That's greed. I wanted 300 million. Here's the problem. I had taken two steps down the path and not even known it. I'd gone through idolatry and then gotten to greed, and I didn't even realize it. And oh my gosh, I hit the brakes hard. I told them, guys, I have got to think about this. This is this is not right, it's not good for me. And I spent time thinking, then I came to them and I shared it and I asked them to pray for me. I went to prayer, I said, Lord, forgive me for looking to other things for satisfaction and, and uh, I wanna look to you. Would, you, would you remove the idol? I want you to know I, I worked on that uh, and I, to some degree I have, I have overcome it. Uh, I will let you know, I would be fine with 30 million. <laughs> You know, little steps. So so here we go. We're going to run through these now. I want you to to take a look at it because I don't think we've ever seen, not necessarily seen the connection. Um, Idolatry looks to things to satisfy us and give us what we want, those kinds of things that we should be looking to God for. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry leads to greed, which is greed is a general desire for more. More is more. 300 is better than 30. That's greed. And greed leads to evil desires, which is a desire for more, specifically inappropriate, negative, ungodly things. So greed moves into evil desire. And evil desires uh, lead to lust, which is that desire, that want for inappropriate things focused into and personified, maybe into an individual or a a specific thing. Lust takes that and and fine-tunes it. And impurity is acting out on the lust. So up until now, it's all been up here, and now at impurity, we we act out in inappropriate ways uh, the lust and the impurity and the greed and the idolatry and sexual immorality takes that impurity and crosses a line that we cannot uncross. That uh, that it is so hard to come back from. That takes us into places where we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, and um, and it's just the end of a long list. We can get off the train at any stop. Um, and I said that Paul doesn't mince words. Uh, he's really just pointing out something that is obvious that we know by instinct or Sometimes by experience, we need to start now because it always gets worse. When I felt that idolatry, I began to pray. And uh, I turned to my friends. I asked them to be with me. Listen, reading and memorizing Colossians 3 is a good step, is a good process for that. Um, We can't insist on total self-control in the moment. I could white-knuckle it and say, okay, I'm never going to want anything from the lottery again. Uh, And that'll last till next Friday. But we need to start now and not try to make it all happen at once, but do our third step, which is start small. As with any change, we start small. If you try to start big and grand, uh, you're going to fall apart. Did you notice the boy who made it all the way to the end with the marshmallows throughout the video? he's, He's looking off. He's the one who's ignoring it. He's He's not looking at it. He's trying to imagine that it's not there. Okay, those are, that's small. Those are tiny little things, but it was enough. It worked. It got him to the whole 15 minutes. Um, so I want to go back to Joyce Meyer's comment that self-control is like a seed, and we need to develop it. So how do we develop that seed? I'll just give you an example from Carolyn and I. We developed a few rules, family rules. Uh, this is behavior modification, Um, And and it is seriously just starting small. So here are our our three rules. If we have to make a major decision immediately, the answer is no. That takes all the pressure off of us. I can't make this decision. Um, if, If you say, I can't actually say yes. If you say I have to make it immediately, it's automatically no. Second, we must talk to each other and be in agreement before we can make a major decision. That seems obvious. If you've ever been to Best Buy uh, with a man, uh, he's often to, or I've heard home goods uh, for women, that's one of those. Uh, We have to be in agreement on that vase or that 60-inch TV. We have to be in agreement. And and the third one is, remember, this is not the last time an opportunity is going to present itself. You know, the world wants to say, last time, this is it. Best time, deal of a lifetime. It's, it's, a, it's a floor model. It'll never come again. Uh, you know what? This is not the last time an opportunity is going to happen. So I'm just going to wrap up with uh, a story of how we use those things. First of all, we started with ourselves. We said, you know what? This self-control problem is our problem. We have issues we need to work on. And uh, we, we decided we need to do this now. And then we said, we need to start small. And so we said, let's, let's create these three rules. And if you want to do something with self-control, there's this wonderful uh, thing out there. I, it's funny how they've done this, but there is an entire industry that has developed a self-control test. And it invites people for free to come and be a part of it. And the interesting thing about this is so people love this test so much that they sometimes drive a long way, sometimes fly to a test site. And it's a 90-minute test of our self-control. Now, they don't call it that. What they call it is a timeshare presentation. <laughs> but it is a test of self-control. And, and uh, we failed miserably time after time. Uh, I I won't tell you about all the times we went to Palm Springs, the the, the flyers for Hawaii in our mail, or even the microwave that we got because we went to a solar presentation. Um, But uh, suffice it to say, we failed, and uh, like moths to a bug zapper, off we go again, Uh, you know? And and of course, it's going to be, of course we're going to turn it down. We have no intention of buying anything for several reasons. Number one, we have no money. We can't afford it. Number 2, we don't really like the place. Uh you know, for free it's fine, but to, you know, not forever. And uh, uh and number 3, we don't have any time to go on vacation anyway. Uh but somehow those three things don't seem to matter very much. So we did go in with our rules and it's amazing how a little bit of self-control with a few steps, a few rules makes such a big difference. So uh the salesman says um This opportunity, this deal is only going to last as long as you're in the room. And we said, well, we're sorry, but if we have to make a decision immediately, the answer is no. Boom. Uh, Then somehow we get separated, and the person working on me (laughs) and the person working on her, they're like, well, what do you think? Don't you think it'd be good for the kids? Imagine the opportunities to bring your friends and be out on this veranda. And both of us say, you know, I have to talk to the other one, and we have to be in agreement before we make a decision. Now, if we're not married, uh, that's okay. Have somebody with you. To, uh, not just a timeshares. Have an accountability person that, you know, you're like, I really want to trust you with my decision-making. I want I to put myself, I had a friend who would put himself in, uh, at, uh, accountable to a community, and he would run his big decisions by his community, and if they said no, it was no. So that's number two, um, uh, and number three, remember, uh, this opportunity isn't, isn't, it will come again. So there's always that opportunity that in that moment, you know, where one of our eyes glaze over and we begin to convince the other why this would be so good. And then the, uh, the uh, self-control test giver, uh, who they call sales associates, you know, they sit back and let us do their job for them and sell one another. And that's when we look in each other's eyes and we say, remember, this isn't the last time a great opportunity is going to come. So um, I hope you know by now, you are not the only one without self-control. Everybody's laughing. Everybody knows. Everybody's rubbing their heads. Everybody, we're all in the same boat. And I hope that will give you encouragement. Uh, You don't have to go it alone. Bring somebody along with you. Do it together. But Start now, and start small. And for goodness sake, for the sake of the people we love, for ourselves, for our community, let's start having self-control.